All right. Hello and welcome to the 48th episode of the Town Mile podcast, where we are very excited to roll out a an updated series where we're going to be talking about all things Corn Belt Conference of the Coach Van Luer era from his initial year arriving in 1980 to 2023. Now we're going on 43 years. So hoping to do this weekly where we're able to get, sit down and have an episode um, where we could talk to each individual from their perspective, what it's been like, what the Corn Belt's been like um, then and now. And the first person that joined us for this podcast, we recorded an episode with none other than Josh Kaiser, who is I graduated with somebody I've known for a long, long time. I go back very uh, a long ways with as a uh, as a classmate of his, and probably the person I've known longest in my life outside of people in my family. So we sat down tonight with Josh and went over really all things, his career, his perspective of uh, playing in Emory, playing for Coach Van Luer, his memories of uh, of Coach Van Luer, and beyond that, how he you know went into Augustana, played in college, uh, played football there, had a really a, a great career, and some details regarding his post-playing career where he went to the NFL Combine and had an experience working out and um, – you know, really looked like he was getting drafted at, at some point, you know, following that uh, combine experience and then going on into, you know, becoming a mayor and, and really somebody that I've wanted to do a podcast with for a long time. So very excited to have Josh join us. Um, really got a lot of love for him. And, um, you know, to this day, really, you know, somebody that I've, uh, you know, it really go back a long ways with. So it meant a lot to have Josh join for this episode. Hope you enjoy it. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Uh, and let's get the show on the road. Here is uh, Big Kites, Big Josh, uh, joining the 40th episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the first, this is the first installment of the, the Van Luer Chronicles. So well, here with me today is, is Joshua Adam Kaiser, who I think I've known probably longer than anybody in my life outside of like my cousin Chris. And, uh, you know, I, I think you, we both were in kindergarten together and the, Mrs. Hanlon. Is Mrs. Hanlon still, still with us? Um. Yeah, somebody said that she is in the Bridgewater oh, home. Okay, still Bye. she's in Bridgewater. Okay, um, yeah. So, so what? Really, the point of this is, is you know, I I had a, I've always been sitting on. A, I'm kind of fascinated by the last forty years of what's happened in our small town of Emory. There's been a lot of people that have been in a position that they've been in for a long time from. Mrs. Clark, Mr. Clark, who I think retired. They actually were in Philly last summer, yep. two summers ago. So got to see them. Um, and, uh, you know, 
Coach Schultz and Mrs. Schultz are going on 30 years, over 30 years. Yeah, Scott would have came in, what, 92? Yeah, 91, 92. Yeah, that's a long long time. Yeah, Chris was a couple years after, probably, what, our freshman year of high school? I think so. Yeah, she became the... The, the principal or the superintendent, that's pretty young. So in, in any event, I think that's, it's pretty remarkable. And I, I've had to, I've, I've got a lot of great relationships out here with, with some really good friends and all of them are always blown away by South Dakota. They love hearing about South Dakota. They, maybe they're faking it, but I think there is a genuine, you know, genuine kind of interest in, uh, you know, where we grew up. And I think a lot of it, you know, also, at least from my perspective, I mean, Jeff Van Luer, Coach Van Luer got to Emory in 1980, and it's 2023, so we're going on 43 years, and, and this, you know, doing this project is certainly no, I don't have any hit of, or indication that he plans on retiring, maybe, you know, if that's, as far as I know, he's, you know, he's still coaching football 43 plus years, so there really has been a foundation and a long line of of individuals that, um, you know, that he's impacted and not only they've had a lot of success, you know, winning titles. So why don't we just start, you know, you, we grew up in the same class. Like what, what are your earliest memories that you have of, of coach Van Leer? Yeah. You know, um, when he sent the outline out and we was just trying to think and trying to put some points together, I really was racking my brain on my first memory of coach. And obviously going through elementary school, he was, you know, taking care of physical education for us. He had him around then. But I think uh, one of my first real impressions of coach or memory is probably little league baseball. Um, you know, we started out peewees and coach and your dad stick were kind of coaching and, and there and uh, coach Van Luer was always around the program. Then in the summer with the little guys, you know, just getting us exposed to his ways and, and, uh, introducing himself into young people's lives and uh you know through athletics at that time even so that's kind of my biggest thing was thinking of where i can remember coach and i remember you know it had to be boy first couple of years of peewees you know start yeah in first second third grade whatever you know and coach have us out there in the summer heat you know doing practice in the middle of the day and yeah just sweating away and and uh trying to make it fun for everybody you know and, and yeah really trying to bring out that competitive spirit in the kids. Sure. Yeah. Probably paying, probably paying his own gas to drive kids in the van, picking up the tab on that. So pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's right. I I guess I hadn't thought about that. He was doing, he was doing that. I remember he'd always be like practices tomorrow at one o'clock to like a bunch of six year old kids. Like, okay, see you tomorrow. You know, (laughs) accountability, man, you know, yeah. Do what you're going to say. It did start it did start pretty early and yeah. And I remember he played amateur baseball as well with my dad. So I, you know, I think that's where, or for my dad, I mean, that was something my dad put a lot of time into the, the Emory, you know, amateur team. Um, so that's, yeah, he, he did. Is he still a part of doing baseball in Emory? No, I, I don't know at what point he stepped away, but, you know, the city of Emory at some point took over, like, the Little League program through a nonprofit group they call Summer Rec, and they've been hiring uh, coaches since then. It's usually some parents that volunteer their time, essentially. Okay. High school kids that step in and do stuff. But I think Coach must have gave that up 
Well, I don't know for sure when it's been a while. I'm sure he coached his own kids, you know, so when Garrett and Griff would have went yeah. through. Yeah. Gave up sometime after that. And those facilities are pretty remarkable. Yeah. That, like the know. baseball field. I think I went through there the last time I was home or one of the time, maybe 10, over 10 years ago, where there's a lot of, well, the football field is nor Jeff Van Leer field is not no longer there. Right. Unfortunately that, that yeah. came, you know, came down, but cause all games are in Bridgewater, but um, I guess yeah. that's part of, you know, growth or uh, uh, yeah. I mean, that had to have been tough to kind of yeah. give up the Emory side of it to play. It, it was a, a double-sided coin there. Obviously the cooperative with Bridgewater, you wanted to see get off on the right foot. Um, the school district spent the money putting the gym in Emory and was willing to do the football and track facility and leave that in Bridgewater because they already had a site kind of there set aside for it. Um, so the investment in that program, trying to get people to buy in, was kind of necessary for the cooperative um, and consolidation of the schools, really. Yeah. And yeah. It, it really hit at a time, too, where we had a summer storm come through and really uh, destroyed the ballpark. And oh, did it really? Yeah, so the, the outfield fence and stuff got completely just ripped out. And we had the crow's nest go down and all that stuff. Wow. So it was at a point where it's like, do we put it back the way it was to a kind of a bad baseball field and a kind of poor football field combination deal? Or do you let them go ahead and do the facility upgrades in Bridgewater, move the games over there, put a grandstand in, and then uh, just make the diamonds and Emory an actual baseball diamond to use. So it was one of those things. It was a tough decision. Um, I was actually at the helm at Bayer at the time when we made that. Yeah. Decision. So yeah, it, it wasn't uh, taken lightly. Um, had the discussion with coach and kind of gave him the angle where we were coming from. I know he's probably still a little disappointed because whether or not we're in a uh, consolidated district or not, you know, the, the, uh, animosity towards Bridgewater still runs deep with some, you know, that's yeah. right or wrong. I mean, that's still there when you grew up hating Bridgewater. So it's, yeah. Can we talk bad. about that? I mean, that's another thing. So, right. so I'm also Bill Mark with <laughs> from, well, I don't know where he's at now, but he, I'll be talking to him and doing the same thing. So he was at Bridgewater. Bridgewater won the state football championship in 1980 when coach got to Emory. So fortunately, or 81, yeah, the first actual state championship that yeah. was done by the AP. So fortunately, he didn't play. I don't think Emory, Bridgewater and Emory played each other that year, fortunately, or that, that I mean, th that was a remarkable from 1980, I think 2003, when Max Mayer, 23 straight years of beating of beating Bridgewater is a long time. And right. I remember being very stressed about that, about that streak. I think our sophomore year, and I know I've got on this list talking about favorite wins or games. We, um, as the twins just hit a home run. So it's two to one. Anyway, Kurt Correa. Anyways. Um, well, that's a whole other thing we can talk about. My, my twins animosity has started playing little league baseball where Van Leeuwen would always call me Josephine Mattingly, like would make oh, yeah. fun of the Yankees, like say the Yankees stink and all that. And at the time they did, but I can remember that always kind of bothered me. And even, I think there's a little piece of me to this day that always kind of disliked the twins the most <laughs> and just the way the last 20 years has gone for the Yankees and twins. It's always, 
um, it, it, anyway, so that's all that's right. It. I mean, you're at an impressionable age, obviously, yeah. Nikki's fan, and you're in the heyday of Twins baseball, eighty-seven to ninety-one. Yeah, series in there. Yeah, so people always because I would always say like, "Oh, dude, I want to beat the Twins," you know, really bad, and like, why? <laughs> like, right. I never want to play the Twins in the playoffs, and I know friends that are you know from new york that are yankee fans and they're just like i always want to play the twins it's like i never do i don't want to play the twins um anyways i'm going all over the place here yeah. but that 95 game where aaron Tervine ran back the punt to win they we probably were gonna lose that at least from what i remember right i mean we were we were a team that was kind of lost and lose, you know, trying to find itself that year. If you remember our sophomore year, we didn't really have the standout guys. You know, we went from a dome team two years before the state championship, still got some of the leftovers with, you know, Steve Ernster and, and cousin Chris and those guys. But we come in sophomore year with pretty much a, a reboot of the program with a bunch of dudes that were actually great athletes, just a bunch of unknowns. Um, we had way more talent than I think we realized at that time. And yeah, facing a Bridgewater Mitchell Christian team at that time with uh, some dudes that could play. I mean, we were behind there for a while and it was, yeah. it was on the verge of us uh, losing that streak, which we were about to lose well that. I knew what was threatened if we were going to lose to those guys. Yeah. I, I remember their bus showing up that time. Um, and we would always joke about it. I think James Berg and those guys would always say, oh, Bridgewater's here to beat us. <laughs> and they that was about the closest I think they really came because I think the next couple of years. But, I mean, we, we probably – I mean, fortunately, wherever Aaron Terveen's at today, cheers to Aaron Terveen for right. on the back Thank that you. point. Yeah. And I he think you – free beer every time you see him just for that. <laughs> yeah, right. I always – yeah, my dad – my dad used to see him around sometimes and I always bring that up. So I, I hope yep. that – I mean, I know, you know – and that's the thing, at least, you know, maybe I'm – I like your – I like that you remember and could speak to a lot of that because sometimes I think that maybe it's a, a curse that I can, you know, have my dad's memory with a lot of Emory stuff. Like, and that's where – a couple of days ago, I was talking to Troy Wheeland about this. And I said, do you remember rushing for 275 yards at Ethan? He, he didn't remember. He said, yeah. he didn't remember. it's like, well, you don't remember that. <laughs> I don't, maybe he was lying, but it's, it's just kind of funny. Um, you know, to maybe some folk, you know, they move on and it's right. not that big of a deal. So, so we can, so let's talk about, I guess, so 94 to 97 when we were, freshman to our senior year like what what stands out is there like what specific memories or wins in those years stand out to you I mean obviously not to go back into the Bridgewater deal but beating those guys every year is number one on your checklist you know number two is finding a way to make it in the playoffs back in the old two-class system um you know when we only had a couple teams out of what was it two teams or four teams out of each region or wherever it was. It was well, 16 teams essentially made the playoffs at that time. Um, so I, I think one of the more memorable, memorable wins for me was down in Ethan, our junior year when we beat Hanson, what, 14 to eight? I think so. Did they yeah, score? Did, yeah, I think they did score. Cause I, they I did think score. The, I mean, yeah. The picture yeah. of the next in the paper was Ryan Bell with his yeah. hands up. So I think it was 14 to eight. Yeah, 14 to 8, 14 to 6, whatever it was. It was somewhere along that lines. I mean, 
And that was just a dog fight in the afternoon down there and Ethan on that, you know, the pasture field yeah. that. That one sticks out to me because I don't think anybody really thought we had a chance with that one because those guys were a pretty talented team at that time. Yeah. Um, so that one kind of hangs in there. And then me growing up so close to the Alec guys, you know. Yeah. I, I was smack dab in the middle between Emory and Alec. So I, you know, grew up with those guys darn near as much as I did with Emory. So it's always meant a lot for me too to to beat the guys from Hanson. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, hopefully Jamie Davies is listening. Cause I, I, I hope he is. I did a podcast with him a few years back and I was just telling <laughs> how much when I was a seventh grader, it broke my heart when, you know, when, when, when Hanson beat Emory, but um, yeah, that was a fun, I remember Hanson was really good. Nate Smith was really good. I remember he hit miles dies so hard one time. I, I thought he, I thought he killed miles, you know, basically. Fortunately, um, Miles is like Gumby. You can't hurt him. So. Yeah. I know Miles loved it. This is back when you like lead with your head when that was like a, that was like a fine thing to do. And now I don't think, yeah, I don't know how do you, how do you play football now? If you're in high school, I mean, is it coached differently? I just wonder, maybe that's a question for Van Luer coming up if, when I'm home in June, like how has that changed with rules? Is it harder to play or is it more or harder to coach? Maybe it's not harder to play because kids probably don't know any differently. Yeah. I, I think the kids don't know any differently. I think for a guy like Van Luer that's been in it for so long, and, you know, everything that he wants to do is always predicated on the run and line of scrimmage and just being bullies um, has changed that game a lot. Now, my boys are in South Dakota junior football at, you know, as third and fourth graders starting out and helping coach with that. I mean, everything we teach is a rugby style type uh, tackling procedure where you're actually instead of getting your head across the body, it's going on the backside, wrapping up and rolling with them. Okay. So it's, it's counterintuitive to everything I was taught. Um, obviously much safer for the kids and probably something we should have addressed a long time ago, but uh, it, it's a different mentality on defense for sure. I don't think it has a lot of bearing on the way offense has moved, but definitely on the defensive side. Okay. So South Dakota junior football, where does that take place at in Emory or do you have to go? Oh, to it's it's uh, in Sioux Falls. So we have, uh, you kind of put in your names of the kids that want to play and then they draw you in an area based on, how many kids are participating so typically out here we end up playing with uh like an alec every bridgewater type team uh, okay. kids otherwise we can get thrown in with a freeman or a canastota uh, but the games are all played in sioux falls up at the sanford complex there okay is that on grass or is it field it is on grass on grass okay yep. um I remember when Joe Ford, our, 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 our boy, Joe Ford was coaching at USF. Well, now he's, he's in Winona. Well, is yeah. it Winona, Winona, Minnesota. Yeah. I remember he'd always would talk, joke with you about, cause that's suddenly the big rivalry in Sioux Falls is USF and big, Augie. Big time. Um, where did you, did you play USF when you were at Augie? We did not. When I was at Augie, USF was still on AIA. So okay. we didn't have crossover games at that time. And, uh, you know, they played each other, I think, back in the 80s, like a non-league okay. game. But it had been many, many years that they had played each other. But campus is two, two blocks apart. Yeah. So you guys far. would see them socially and express your opinion on each other. It's Absolutely. From what I remember. <laughs> Have some gentlemanly, some gentlemanly <laughs> discussions. Yes. Where, um, that's That's hilarious. So... The other thing I think too, before we, we kind of dive, you know, dive into your, your collegiate career was 
how do you think it is? And, and maybe it's like this in other small communities. I think Br- Hanson has probably had Jim, is Jim Bridge still there? He's probably been there a long time. Oh yeah. Jim Bridge is still there. Superintendent. He gave up coaching on the girls basketball side of things, but he's been there for, I would guess, 30, 30 some years, but okay. Uh, you know, Jim Haskamp, their football coach. Haskamp is still there. Yeah. Near as long as Van Hooter's been there. So. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So maybe it isn't just because I thought maybe Emory had longer tenure of educators than other communities did, but maybe it's not, that's not the case. It may be not the case, but I think those two being so close together in relationship to each other, they're a little bit unique in that. I don't think there's a whole lot of coaches in the state that have that type of tenure or have for many years. I think it used to be the norm when you went back, you know, through the 50s, 60s, 70s, where somebody would park and stay there until retirement. But yeah. uh, as the competitive world has evolved, especially you got in the 90s, the 2000s, as uh, parents got more involved in, in their children's sports and you're doing all the off-season stuff and really trying to get your kids to that next level, uh, it's obviously drawn more uh, demand on the coaches as well. And yeah. So you see a lot more movement in the coaches than we did, especially even in high school. I mean, it's, it's no different now. It's still a business at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think so, so coach has Griffith is involved with the the football program. Is that right? And and Jesse, I think my aunt Marine was telling me that actually Jesse, Jesse, his daughter is, um, you know, does stats and is, is involved as well with a lot Actually, of Actually, Jesse is the uh, head uh, girls basketball coach. Is that right? Okay. Yep. So that's, uh, that's a quite a, you know, quite a thing to grow up with. You never know how, you know, maybe kids would, how they, are they going to be interested in doing that? If you grow up in a gym or if you grow up in, you know, maybe other students or other kids we knew probably didn't have that experience of, because they didn't like football or they didn't like athletics. And, you know, I, I know as I've gotten older, there used to be a time where I almost wish I would have, you know, got studied harder in science and math or something like that, you know, down right. the road instead of wanting to, to be, you know, or feeling pressure that I had to be like my cousin, Chris, you know, athletically or something like that. But, um, um, so one thing I don't even think I've ever really talked to you about, is when you decided, did you know the whole time you wanted to play college football or is that something, what was that like? I think, uh, you know, junior year or so, I, I think that by then I knew for sure that I wanted to go to college. Um, wasn't sure where yet, but I think as we got through junior and especially in the senior year, the thought of playing um, ball after high school started creeping in my mind. It wasn't always a priority. Um, you know as well as I do with my old man growing up on the farm. Sports were secondary. I mean, dad was happy to support us in it, but he'd have been just as happy if we weren't out for sports because we'd have been around to work more. So I just yeah, good farm. It was one of those things where sports wasn't a priority in the family because dad wasn't able to do it. Just you know, the family situation, him growing up on the farm. My mom was never really into a ton of sports. She did a little bit of track and stuff when she was in high school, but it just wasn't front and center. And, um, you know, as I got older and started enjoying it more and got more confidence in myself, then I thought, you know, maybe if there is a shot to go to college and play on, I would still do that. And then, you know, get to senior year and you start getting the letters and you start getting the calls from coaches. 
stuff that it's like, well, maybe this is a possibility. So I think that's when it really kind of got fired up in me that, you know, maybe I should follow this and see what we can do with it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I don't think I've ever, I haven't spoken to you in person since your old man passed, man, and how much I loved your dad. And I know we've texted back and forth and those things, but, you know, that was, uh, he was certainly, uh, you know, I, I know I have a lot of memories of, of, of your pop and, you know, and, um, you know, it was, uh, it was tough news, man, to hear, you know, I, I know you were always real communicated a lot about kind of where, where he was at. And it sounded like he was kind of a warrior, a lot of those yep. years and lived with a lot of pain. So, you know, I'm sure he's in a better place now, but, um, yeah, he, he fought on long enough. It was, it was time, you know, yeah. he's, he's a tough old nut to crack, but, um, yeah. at some point everybody's got to call her a day. And that was, sure. it was time for him. Yeah. So you end up deciding to go to Augie. What was that? What was that like? Who else were you? What What other schools were you considering or looking at? Well, quite honestly, Joe, and I think you know this, uh, my heart was always set on going to SDSU. Um, I think when we went up to that uh, camp in the summer, was it before our junior year or sophomore year? I don't recall. I think you and Jake did. You and Jake yeah. and maybe Steve Olinger. Maybe Steve Olinger, yeah. Went up there. Must have been maybe before our junior year. Went up to that camp. Um, I had a decent camp. camp. Coaches were, you know, receptive. Um, ended up, you know, winning a couple awards there out of the camp. Um, always wanted to go to state because I always kind of thought that I was going to follow into engineering. Uh, Brookings just kind of felt like home. So that was my first choice. I mean, that's where I was going to go. Yeah. And as the recruiting process came and went, you know, you had a bunch of schools calling. And Augie, you know, offered me early a decent scholarship after they got to know me. US, uh, USD was in there heavy. Um, and then I come around to SDSU, you know, and, and uh, came down to money time and money talk. Stig kind of told me or um, that, you know, they'd like me to walk on. Mm. And I said, you know, shoot, I'm getting offers from these other guys. I said, give me $500 just so I know you want me there. Like as a commitment that you are in it with me, give me something and I will come to SDSU. And they said, ah, we just don't have it in the budget. We got some other guys pegged for O-line. So it became one of those things where it was a chip on my shoulder. Then it's like, now what do I do? I never liked Vermilion. I never was comfortable at USD. And that was the, I mean, they basically offered me almost a full ride right off the bat. Is that right, huh? Yeah. Wow. And I just, I was never comfortable with the coach there at that time. Just was never a fan of Vermilion. So then Augie be kind of became a little more of a, a front runner at that point. Cause you get to know Mike Friedel. Um, who was recruiting me at that time, recruiting South Dakota, really had good rapport with Mike, you know, guy from Armour, small town dude, hardworking, you know, blue collar dude. So his mentality fit with what I grew up with. And then, you know, the fact that Chris is there. So I got some familiarity with some guys yeah. from there playing and that Augie, you know, Steve was there at that time too. So kind of come down to that and you get to those points and it's like, you know, I think I can fit into this small private school here in Sioux Falls, even though it's not exactly what I want to go for for major wise. Uh, they don't have an engineering program. It's in Sioux Falls. You know, I'm a small town kid, but the class size felt good. Felt good with the coaches. You know, they had a, a bunch of, you know, kind of redneck um, <laughs> blue collar dudes. So it felt like home for me. So that's kind of how I ended up at hockey. That's awesome. So 
because I don't remember. I guess the '98 Augie team. I I don't think Pat Graham was still there. Who was oh, the who was the quarterback in those years? So Eric DeGraff was a was DeGraff. The yep. So he's technically a year older than us. So he would have started, I think, as a true freshman in '97. So blonde, he's a blonde guy, big handsome. Yeah. Jack dude or yeah, was back good then. Good looking dude, yeah. you know, all American, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, from down in Iowa, just north of uh kind of that Ames area, uh Pope City. Okay. And uh so he was coming back as a second year starter in ninety-eight. Um had some talented guys out at different positions, but just was kind of in a hole there. You know, our head coach Jim Heinitz had left there for a little bit in the mid nineties. Okay lots of private business and then came back so it was kind of rebuilding the program again um so it wasn't it wasn't uh the winningest program that wasn't what drew me there and the, the comfortability with the coaching staff what really drug me there you know Jim yeah. Hines, fantastic man love him like a father yeah um, you know and the Mike Friedel is really the one that, that you know pulled me in just yeah that cowboy come walking into high school and you know yeah meet with him in the in the principal's office and sit there and talk about stuff and just had a lot in common with that dude right he came to emory and talked to you yeah. that's awesome i think he was really doing i know people are making <laughs> a big deal out of like the film yellowstone or the show yellow i think that's really what mike friedel was doing absolutely was he in wyoming and they had like a ranch like he had a real ranch yeah so he had a he had a friend that in his off season get out of football season like we're shutting down for the eight weeks before fall camp comes. He would go out to Wyoming and cowboy for eight weeks, leave his wife and kids at home out in Hartford, South Dakota and head out to Wyoming and just ranch it living in a, a piece of crap camper. <laughs> just out there, you know, it's a bunch just of sucking down Coors Light and riding Copenhagen, riding. just living yeah. on Copenhagen in your lip right. all the time. Just doing man shit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> just do it because i can remember when he was there when chris was there he was saying oh i just was in wyoming and i, I wish i was still there or something like say yeah. like, i love football but i love that too kind of thing and um yeah no that's that was quite a that ncc because i don't even think it's not the ncc anymore no the ncc went defunct after the last uh two or three teams went d1 so you know Obviously, Northern Colorado was the first one that moved uh, up to, I should yeah. say, FCS. Yeah. Uh, Northern Colorado went after my senior year in 03, and then NDSU and SDSU were a couple years after, and then North Dakota and USD um, followed suit shortly after that. And then the the uh, conference just disbanded. Four of the teams joined the NSIC, the Northern Sun. Okay. So it was Augie and St. Cloud State. And okay. Mankato State, and who the heck was the other one? Mankato, Minnesota, uh, yeah. Augie, USD, SDSU, NDSU, UND, St. Yep. Cloud. St. Cloud. Morn not Morningside. Morningside went NAI after my freshman year. They were in the NCC up until 99. Th that and reminds me, <laughs> when I would see uh, Fred Taylor was a running back for Augie and I remember when I would stay with Chris one time like Augie lost to Morningside I think then and I was like ah I was like tough tough one Saturday or something I say man you had it because I think Fred Taylor had a really good game <laughs> and I was like he had like 100 yards rushing or something and I just said man ah, it's like Morningside's pretty good though and he's like man he said 
fuck Morningside, he said to me in you know, second high school, just trying oh. to – he was not happy with losing <clears throat> to Morningside. Not having it. Yeah, yeah you I guys know. never – did you ever lose to Morningside? You no, never. so I only actually played him my true freshman year okay. so in 98, and we played him down there in Sioux City on that shared community field. So I think there was three high schools that played on that field as well as oh, them. Oh, is that right? We played them on Saturday after there was two high school games on Friday night in a monsoon. It was just a mud pit. And okay. And I think it was that. down in like a hole already, wasn't it? Kind yeah, of down kind in of a down, cliff. Kind of down off the bluffs of the uh, the Missouri River, just off right. the, the bluffs and the cliffs up on the side. If I remember correctly, it's been a while. Yeah, I remember, I remember going up to a game up there. Um, a lot of abandoned stockyards, like old – yeah stockyard areas i don't i don't know if it's excuse me still like that now but um so i i know i think i know the answer to this but your favorite win you just talked about south dakota state not even wanting to give you 500 dollars, which i think i got like a 500 dollar grant just to be a student there right which i wasn't a good student so the fact that they <laughs> couldn't come up with that for you is pretty crazy but right. your favorite win was you beat State in, was it 02 or 03? 02, 02. yeah. Okay. 02, my senior year, we beat them in triple overtime at Howard Wood in Sioux Falls. Triple overtime. Triple OT. So my senior year, we came in with some high expectations. So we talked about Eric DeGraff previously being our quarterback at Augie. He graduated, didn't get a red shirt, so he got his four years and was out. His younger brother actually came to Augie, who was – you know, every bit as savvy as Eric was, maybe, um, okay. but was taller and had a little better arm, actually. Maybe didn't move as well as Eric. Um, was a year younger than me. So he's coming in, got some experience our junior year or my junior year, and was going to be our starting QB that year, my senior year. And first game against Northern State at Howard Wood. Um, we're just doing a quick bubble screen. And honestly, my whole position at tackle right tackle at that time was to protect his backside number one because he was a left-handed quarterback so I moved from left side to right side to protect him but on the little bubble screen that we ran I would take my uh, defensive end grab him by the shoulder pads pull him down and club the back of his helmet to knock him down to get his hands down because it was just a little quick out bubble screen okay I completely just threw the defensive end straight into Ryan's leg and Ryan was in the wrong spot busted his tibia Oh, wow. Wow. Then we had to go to our next best option, which is a true freshman, Tommy Flieger out of Sioux Falls, Lincoln. I remember that guy. So our season completely changed from high hopes with some guys with some experience to we've got a true freshman QB and we are now running the ball. And the coordinator was not known for running the ball. He liked to throw the ball 70 times a game. I mean, we aired it out constantly. So by the time we kind of got through halfway through the season, we're finding our identity and we're just, we're playing really good defense. Friedel had the boys on that side just fired up and we had some dudes over there playing. And on offense, it was ball control and we're just grinding it out. We're got a big O-line that we're just beating people up and we've got Nathan Walter playing running back who Nathan can get five yards in a pile of dust, but he will not <laughs> run away from anybody. So Wow. We're talking 14, 15 play drives. I mean, just grinding it out. So we get midway through the season. SDSU is coming to town, which is circled on my calendar every year because I've got a chip on my shoulder with them. Yeah. We eke out a you know a three three overtime win on that deal. So that one and 
for me, is my biggest collegiate win. So I mean, you guys, you beat them with a freshman QB, <laughs> Nathan Walter. So they would have had Nedved. Yep. Feldy? Feldheim was a QB then. Yeah, Feldy was Q, QB. Was the triple OT. He, I was just texting with him earlier. Um, yep. So some of the guys on that defense, you said, who were some of the – who were some of the best players on both sides of the ball in those Augie teams? Joe Evenson was a yeah. So Evenson graduated the year before. You know, Joe's the same age as we are, but Joe never got that redshirt year. Where you know, I took my redshirt that third year, even though I played them first two years as a you know true freshman, true sophomore. Finally, had people healthy, so I got a redshirt. Joe never got that luxury, so he was done. But okay. Around. Um, so some of our main dudes on the defense at that time. Number one. Um, so D-line, Nate Floyd, I think you've met him. I remember Nate Floyd, yeah. Yeah, he was all, all NCC, DN, ended up having wow. a great career with indoor football with the Sioux Falls Storm, like ended up as like the league career stat, uh, sack. Sacks guy, wow. I didn't know um, that. So he had a – he was, you know, rocking on that side of it. And we had a couple other good D-linemen around him helping out. Um, in the middle linebacking spot, we had Brett Scherzlick from Freeman. Okay. I so Brett would have been a redshirt sophomore. So he's Brett's not an imposing figure by any means, as far as uh, physical specimen, but he's one of those guys that knows how to get around the ball. So that dude yeah. was just killing it. And then we had an All-American playing safety on that side, Ben Nauman, who got ben some. Nauman, I remember that guy. I remember that name. Okay, yeah, Augie always had. It seems like really good quarterbacks and really good corners and safeties because yeah case Fahan was a really good safety i remember I mean, a guy aaron hamrick when when chris yeah. was aaron hamrick the the hammer they called him which probably couldn't play like that anymore but really would you you'd lay guys out um they augie always had really good quarterbacks yeah, Shannon Poppinga, i mean Shannon that's, Poppinga, that's yeah. right i mean we had some studs in the secondary we always had great skill players we could get those guys recruited into school um, where we always seemed to struggle a little bit, especially in a small private school, was getting your blue collar, tough guys playing line. Okay. Um, you know, Friedel was able to bring in some dudes here and there, but just your blue chip kind of just studs that line were tougher. To, we were never very deep on the line. Okay. We had guys, but trying to get your your meatheads, you know, yeah. the guys to do the dirty work into a school like Augie was a struggle. I mean, we might so get them there freshman year, and then we'd lose them to academics. So yeah, okay. So they they're going to they're going somewhere else. They're yeah, going to stay. They going they're, they're not interested in coming to a you know school with eighteen hundred students and hanging out and and worrying about going to chapel at ten o'clock. And you know, did Christian, you have to go to chapel at ten o'clock? No, we were in football meetings at ten o'clock. Okay, okay, <laughs> on purpose. Okay. So then you're, you're, you're and actually about 20 years ago this time, because I, I get a couple notifications from some buddies I lived with in Seattle because I moved there about 20 years ago this time. So you, how did it go that like post collegiate career that you started, like the NFL was actually like, at least there was thoughts or you were working to that, like in the draft, like what, talk about that. Like, what was that like? Yeah, so I, I had a, an all right, um, you know, first two years coming straight out of high school, going nine man to 211 and playing on the outside, moving from tackle to guard, 
was a little different and I wasn't physically ready, but they needed me to play um, as a true freshman or true sophomore. Finally got that third year to really develop and take that red shirt, um, help me out grow into my body and maturity. Um, started at left tackle junior year. Then like I say, saw a senior year moved to right tackle just because we had a left-handed quarterback. So the thought was to protect his backside. Uh, moving over there and the right side was kind of always my natural spot and that's where we played in high school and just felt more natural so moved over there but I don't know when it was you know in the spring of my junior year going into, into senior year had a few um, NFL scouts around you know during practice times and you know they talk about you because you know I'm six four six five and 320 pounds so obviously my size would draw some attention and I'd started for a while so they would, you know, we're there watching a little bit, but there was never a, a ton of attention around it. Got about halfway through the senior year and I was having a good year, you know, and I I don't say that boastfully. I came into my own. I figured out the game. It slowed down for me. I understood my assignments. I knew what I could do physically and what I couldn't do and uh, just matured into my own person and kind of came into my own. Had some some good weeks of, uh, you know, making some national player of the weeks, you know, for offensive linemen with some different publications and stuff. So the scouting became a little more regular where we'd have scouts in during the week during practice and stuff. Um, started getting a little attention, but I never really believed I had a shot at it. I just thought it was as one of those things, you know, it'll come and pass. So we went through the season, didn't think much of it. Um Ended up, you know, seven and four. Probably could have been nine and two real easy. Should have been 10 and one if we wouldn't have lost a quarterback, likely. Um, so we were set up to, to make a good run and uh, get through the season. And sometime there in December, I got an invite to an all-star game, um, which was the D2 all-star game down in Kingsville, Texas at that time. It was called the Cactus Bowl. So going down there in I'm just going to make the all-star game. We're going to go have a play. I know there's scouts down there, but it's, you know, it's D2. It's not D1. Went down there, had a pretty good game. And when I was down there during the week, I got a uh, a letter from the guys that were there from the NFL that was an actual invite to the National Scouting Combine. So I got invited to the Combine when I was down in Texas. Unbeknownst to me, I mean, they didn't do it until it was January 10th and the draft is in April. Okay. Hadn't really stayed in as good a shape as I probably should have if I thought that I was really had a chance of making the NFL, like got out of season and just kind of, you know, whatever. Didn't completely go to shit, but, you know, wasn't doing what I should have been doing for a guy that had a chance to make the NFL. So get through, get back from Kingsville, Texas. And I'm like, shit, I got invited to the combine. What do we do now? And the coach was like, well, I suppose you better get a damn agent hired and figure out what you're doing and get in the weight room. So Interviewed a couple agents, got him up, signed with one. He sent me down to Atlanta. So I left Sioux Falls sometime mid-January. I spent six or seven weeks down in Atlanta with a, a private trainer down there that my agent paid for. Wow. So I was working out with uh, Terrence Newman, who I had a long career with the Dallas long Cowboys. Long career out of Kansas State. 41. Newman I've never seen in my life in person. I mean, just. Is that right? Oh, I think he texted still. me that once. So he's there. There's a bunch of other dudes that are like projected first round picks and they're working out this trainer in Atlanta and I'm there too. So 
we're going through two workouts a day, just kind of getting prepped up for the combine and get down to the combine and do that whole thing. So that's kind of how that all came about. But it was that's amazing. So, so when you look at me, yeah, when you're looking for an agent, like how did you look for an agent? <laughs> so weird deal. Don't know where to start really. But after I got the scouting uh, combine invite, I had agents start reaching out to me. Um, I talked to the coaches and the coaches said, yeah, you know, we know a couple guys, but it's not something we deal with on a yearly basis coming out of Augie. We just don't have a bunch of dudes that are going to the NFL. So talked to a couple of the guys that were a few years older than me and who they had kind of dealt with that when they were getting looks and maybe had okay. some tryouts. So met with some of those guys that were somewhat local, um, took some basically solicited agents and had some meetings with them and sat down with them and ended up settling on a dude that was coming out of LA, flew up to Sioux Falls, came over and met me at a hotel. We sat down and talked about it and he was telling me what he was willing to do. And he was willing to send me to Atlanta on his dime. Wow. Me, send me with the trainer and stuff. So kind of how I ended up with him. I figured that was my best shot to get myself to the best position to get drafted. So then you go to Atlanta for a few weeks. Like how long were you there? I think seven weeks, if I remember right. Something like that. Okay. And you're working out, you're in a hotel. I mean, did you get, I mean, cause I know you said you thought you, do you feel like you caught up to be the best version that you possibly <laughs> could have been? To do, I, think? I, I think that I was in about as good as position as I could have been um, outside of taking, you know, six weeks off and not doing a hell of a lot there. Okay. All-star game. I mean, still lifting because I enjoyed it, but I wasn't working out like I should have been. Uh, but the trainer there was, you know, specifically working on the drills at the combine, you know, working on that agility and that stuff. So let's not worry about lifting weights and being stronger. You're a strong enough guy. Let's, you know, work on speed and, and agility and that stuff. Make sure that we do well in these testing drills. So I came out of there feeling pretty good. You know, in those days, kind of going into that senior year, I had lost some weight. So I was running about 305, 310 at that point. Okay. Um so I lost about 20 pounds of, you know, baby fat and put on muscle and, and was feeling pretty good about where I was at. So I was in about as good a shape as you could have been. There's things now, you know, hindsight that I would have done differently. But um, at the time, I think I, I put myself in a position at least to get noticed. Okay. So then the the combine happens. Like, what, what was that like? Yeah. So... Um, this will be foreign to most of the people on the coast or not from the Midwest, but kind of a Midwest references. It felt to me like a bull sale. Like they marched yeah. you up there in front of a crowd of people that are just on the auction block going, and they're just checking you out. They, they <laughs> you drop your drawers, you take your shirt off and you walk in front of a crowd of 300 people, march you across the stage, you get on a scale, they measure you away, you, you know, do all this. Just like very, very odd. Yeah. Yeah. So, so who yeah, was in there? Did you recognize people like was like Bill Parcells in there? Like oh, absolutely. All your head coaches, all your owners, all those type of people were in there. So I mean you're seeing, you know, everybody at that time, the Parcells, the Billichecks, you know. Wow. On stats. Uh, That's know. incredible. Yeah. So did that and then like what so you get done. I mean, did yep. you think you did okay in the combine? I mean, what how oh, do you even I, know? On the way down and i don't want this to sound like an excuse but I, I got stomach flu on the way down okay so i was fighting that the first day and then i got there 
first thing they do, you get off the airplane, you go check in the hotel, they toss you in a bus and you go straight to uh, whatever it is, University of Indiana Medical Center, and you go through medical testing. Okay. So you get there and you go through all your blood panels, your urinalysis, and then they throw you in a CAT scan or an MRI. Uh, usually this takes about four hours, start to bottom. I ended up sitting in the hospital for 12 hours that day because they ran me through the CAT scan four times. They found what? they found a genetic defect in my uh, my lower spine. I've got a vertebrae in my lumbar that's shaped like a C that can be degenerative over time where your discs will just bulge out. So they found that on the initial scans and they sent me back through more scans. I was literally in the hospital the entire first day. Wow. We're supposed to do the bench press that afternoon. I missed the bench press. Wow. Like all my other old linemen and guys went through the bench press, did their interviews, all that stuff. I'm still in the hospital. Oh, bro. So, so other guys are gone there and you're still. I'm still just hanging out. Like Jesus. We were all there together and all of a sudden they're just gone. And it's just me. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Wow. So I finally get back to the uh, oh, the RCA Dome at that time before it was Lucas Stadium. And it's eight or nine o'clock at night. So I've got some time to do a little bit of interviews with some of the coaching staff and some of the stuff kind of walking around that want to talk to you. But they send me this back to bed. Finally get in bed about midnight. I get a knock on the door at 3.30 a.m. You got to come bench right now. You missed it yesterday. We've got the whole other crew that are going to start benching at 6.30. What? So you got to get in and get out. So I had to go bench at 4 a.m. So I only threw up. I'm not feeling good. Been in the hospital all day. I only put up 225 28 times, which. 28 times? That seems like a sound, lot. That sounds like a lot, but I was doing close to 40 usually. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, it was one of those things where that part of it really kind of just set my whole three days off on the wrong end of things. 40 times at your peak, that was your peak. I mean, you got to think like what, what difference does, I mean, 28 times seems like a lot of times right. to throw up. Like what did Larry, Larry Allen's record, what what was he doing? Like 70 or something like that? Didn't he? At, like, at some point, maybe when he's with the Cowboys, yeah, they said that man can bench 600 pounds. I mean, just a freak. But, That's interesting. So you go bench at 3.30. So I got to go bench at 3.30 because then we've got to start doing the on-field workouts, the running and agility, and I've got to do the uh, Wonderlick test and all this other stuff in the schedule. Start what did you do on the Wonderlick? I've you... actually, I did great on the Wonderlick. I always scored up like 36 or something. So I think 50 is the, the perfect score on it. So 36 to 40 is where I'd score. I think the average is somewhere around 20. So Pretty I was always, good. Yeah, I did well on that stuff. Yeah. Psychological exam, I'm not sure exactly they never told me, but I'm guessing I might have failed some of that stuff. Wow. Like what are th do you remember like things you were you were getting that they ask you in that? You're getting asked? It's probably yeah, okay so, to disclose. Yeah, like the psychological exam stuff was a lot of, you know, what do you feel about authority? How do you feel about cops, you know? Do you like to drink? <laughs> do you like to party, you know? And just really and repeating it in different ways trying to get you yeah. to slip up. Where they're like, ah, he probably likes to party. He answered that. Oh, yeah. right. I, I told them everything. Like, I was not going to lie to them. Yeah. Because yeah. leading up to the draft, the neighbors down the road, the Schraders that grew up, you know, half a mile from my parents, um, I ran into them before I went to the combine and they said, we got a weird call last week. I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, the FBI called and asked what we knew about you because they were doing Holy shit. Yeah. 
So like the FBI went through their whole profile and like going through my whole history of people that knew me. I don't know who all got called. I've, I've only wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that's it's incredible. Big it's a big business. The NFL doesn't leave much to question. No, I guess not. I guess not, man. So, so then, because I can remember even calling you. I remember being in Seattle about twenty years ago. Just like I thought, you know, and yep. then you just never got, you just never got a call. Is it? Yeah. Just- so, you know, got done with the draft, came back to Sioux Falls, kept working out, and then. Between the combine and the draft, at that time, there was probably three or four weeks, give or take. So you got that lull where you're talking to coaches that are talking to your agent and you're hearing from him, but there's just not a lot of communication. Then, you know, I think the draft at that point was still two days. So they did the first three rounds the first day and then the last four rounds the second day. So I figured there was no chance, you know, first three rounds are out of the question, you know. Um, but the morning of the second round, or the second day of the draft, I got a call like 5 a.m. from the Steelers, and they said, we're going to take you in the fifth round today. Holy shit. Yeah, because they have to get your permission to draft you. And I'm like, that sounds wonderful. I would love that, please. And, um, you know, sitting there patiently waiting for the fifth round to come around, Fifth round comes and goes, no call from them. They pick some other people just the way the draft works and there's things that move around and people fall in different positions. Got a call right before the seventh round, the Browns said, we're gonna take you the next round. We got the whatever pick, I'm like, awesome. Never heard another word. Wow. <laughs> Go to bed that night. I believe the second round, the second day of the draft, it was Saturday, Sunday. So getting done with that Sunday, I never got a call that I actually get drafted. Name doesn't come across. 4.30 in the morning, Monday morning, I get a phone call from the Packers. And the dude's like, where are you at? I said, well, I'm in Sioux Falls. You didn't get picked up yet as a free agent? I said, no. He said, well, we'd love to have you come over to Green Bay. I said, I, I suppose I got to follow protocol, call my agent, here's his number. Never heard another word. Wow. That was wow. The Packers. So that's the, so those are, okay. The Steelers. Oh, two were, that was about to be, well, that was before big Ben, but they were on, they had basically their Super Bowl team was kind of it, the bones of it was there. The Packers still went that far. Right. That, that's interesting, man. So you just hear all this uh, stuff and I'm sure I just, it's got to make you just think how many other guys are getting calls like that. Cause things right. can probably change people yep. are trying to probably just keep you warm and then ah, we're taking somebody else. So yeah, and all of a sudden somebody they thought should have been off the board is still available. And they go, well, hell we're taking him, you know, cause we got him rated higher. So it's just one of those things that old linemen on that draft really got kind of pushed down. So it was just, I got shoved out on the backside of that. Okay. Do you remember who some of those old linemen were that got taken early? Yeah. So first rounders, um, uh, one for sure would have been George Foster out of Georgia. Yeah. Big Foster. Yeah. George Foster. He was actually at the, uh, the trainer that I was in Atlanta. So I spent a lot of time with George, got to know him. Wow. So he would, uh, he got drafted. I think he was one of the first linemen. Lions, I think. Yeah. Trying to remember what well, was some, maybe not, but he was with the Lions. I, I, it might have been Denver that drafted him. I don't recall. Okay. I think the first pick that year, as far as alignment went, was number five. Was that tackle out of uh, Utah that went to Carolina? 
Jordan something or another. Okay. I don't know. This, uh, this is getting to the dang weeds. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan Gross. Okay. He was the first lineman off the draft. I pulled it up because when you put the outline there, I was like, I'm trying to remember who was all there in 03. And then I'm going through the names today and going, there was some studs in 03 that got drafted. Um, so Jordan Gross was the first old lineman that went, and he went number eight. But Carson Palmer was the number one pick that year. Yeah, yeah. He was at the combine, saw him. He didn't do any workouts because obviously he knew he was going number one in the Bengals. Yes, won the Heisman, and it was a yeah, sure. Right. Um, I didn't realize Aquan Bolden was there at the same Aquan time. Bolden, wow. Different position groups are in and out different days. Well, so he he might have been a quarterback at the time. He was a quarterback at Florida State. Yes, and then yeah, he became he a receiver. His first game as with the car, he hit like two hundred fifty-eight yards <laughs> receiving, and just never. Like never turned it off. Had a great. I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. I on the cusp maybe. I mean, receivers are goofy and all. Anquan Bolden, that was a dude. That guy was yeah. a dude. But I guess I didn't realize either. Troy Palomalo is the same age. That one never. Wow. He is a Hall of Famer. So yes, yeah. Palomalo went. Where am I looking here? He went number sixteen. Wow, that seems low. For Paul, right. did you see it? Was he? Do you remember seeing him or no? He wasn't there because, like I say, the position groups come in staggered at different times. So okay. I ran into some of the quarterbacks, uh, running backs were there at the same time. I saw a few of the D linemen. Okay, so obviously I was stuck with O linemen. Yeah. Day. Did you see oh, Rex Grossman? I did see Rex. Yeah, that's awesome. I saw Rex and I saw Tony Romo, which nobody knew okay. who Romo was at that point. Yeah, right. Anybody, what Eastern Illinois or wherever the heck it yeah, was? Yeah, right. That's incredible, man. Yeah. So it was a neat experience. Just it was an odd deal just when you're coming out of small town. Yeah, right. Do you almost I mean, you ca I would imagine that well, maybe I don't. I don't know. But do you I almost imagine this is I mean, health wise, what would have been I mean, would you have liked to have gotten drafted and had like a five, four or five year career? You know, my thought process was there. Um I knew most of the linemen only have like a three-year shelf life on average. Okay. You got really good guys that are there forever, but it's about three years for an old lineman when they get drafted. Um, you know, I thought it'd be really great to be picked up even as a free agent and just give me a shot. Yeah. If I only make three years on a practice squad, at least that's an experience that I would have had. I mean, health-wise, yeah. Can I say today I can still walk? I don't have my knees replaced. My back's feeling pretty good. Um, there's some quality of life there that, you know, would be tough to pass up if I would have had a five-year career or something and sure. up that much more. But, you know, the likelihood of having a long-term career as an alignment in the NFL is very slim to begin with. So I kind of went in that, hey, I'll give it at all for whatever years you're willing to give me. Yeah. But, you know, hindsight's 2020 now. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that had a <laughs> the Pittsburgh Steelers said, we're going to take you in the fifth round. Yep. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah, please. I would love to play in Pittsburgh. Again. And you have with you were with your, your wife at the time, I think was your, your lady at that time. Yeah. So Car and I were dating. You know, we um we had become more serious, I think, that summer before my senior year, but it okay. wasn't it was nothing cemented yet where I thought I could live <laughs> without this girl. And her her and I had those conversations. It's like, you know, if I get drafted, you've still got two years of college left. I'm going to go. We're probably not going to make it through this, but we'll try it. You know, whatever. And it made no promises. And, and uh, you know, so would have missed out on that and four wonderful children if I would have gotten drafted, likely. I mean, yeah. 
suffice it to say, knowing myself, I don't think our relationship would have made it through that, but never know. You never know. Never know. So you would have been running around with far, but yeah, I listened to Kyle long a lot, his podcast with his brother and he's, he's had like back surgery and neck surgery and all that. It just kind of sounds, you know, so sounds a little bit miserable. I mean, it's definitely a sacrifice that I think that's an incredible story. I've never really heard, never really heard kind of your, that journey and that experience that you had there. So, um, how are we doing for time? Dude, I'm good for whatever. If you want to roll and cut. Um, no, that's, I mean, I, I guess when you were picking to go to college, were you, did you communicate with, with coach Van Luer a lot? Um, we did a little bit. I just kind of let him know what I was thinking. And I, I asked his opinion. I said, what do you think? And, and he was up front um, and told me, you don't bother with DWU or um, Dakota state or those guys. No offense to them. Yeah. Um, you're better than that level. If you want to wow, go. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. He's like, you, you'll walk in there and start tomorrow and you don't want to do that. And I said, no, I would rather go somewhere where I have to earn my right, you know? Yeah. So um, wasn't a ton of talking between there. And I don't know, it's just one of those things, you know, me as well as you do that. I kind of internalize a lot of stuff and I just, yeah. I, I eat up a lot of it on my own and I, to my own discredit, I probably shouldn't rely on more people more, but it's just one of those things where. No, I don't think so. I think you kind of worked out pretty well. I mean, academically, you were always light years of, you know, in front of, um, like you had that kind of down already. That was your, that was always your thing. Um, Even I was just thinking about this. I remember I I was going to work in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, which is like, I didn't realize the ocean was in Delaware. Well, yeah, it's in Delaware. And I remember driving back in like within a mile or a couple of miles, it was corn like plots of corn, cornfield. And I remember texting you about it and you were like, yeah, that's the Delmarva. You knew what yep. that was. Yep. <laughs> How did you know what that was? Dude, I read so much crap. I don't know where it comes from. Okay. And I just, I've got, I've got a little bit of a photographic memory. So if I've heard it once, I'll usually read. Yeah. You're like texting so. me like that's the Delmarva plot line. You, you yeah. Know, that's, it's that's... a little area. Yeah. Delaware, Virginia, and Maryland. That- <laughs> telling, telling my wife, you know, it's like, shit, what else? Maybe I should, what else can Josh tell us about where, where we live? <laughs> you know, like, so now, dude, Philly's a good, we'll have to get you. I mean, I know we've been saying that for a while. It's not easy. I know now that I have saying. a, I have a one-year-old and it's hard to, to fly and we're flying in June, but we'll have to, we'd love to have you guys out and do a Ben Franklin history tour and see all the old city, all the old history, Philadelphia stuff. So, well, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate the appreciate the time. I, I know I I listed mayor tenure. I just how how did you decide to run for mayor? So, unbeknownst to me, and I guess I didn't realize it, but you know, spending time with my grandpa Bruns, my mom's dad, um, him and I didn't spend as much time as I did with Grandpa Joe Kaiser there. Uh, but the times that I did with him, you know, we would get talking about different things, politics, societal things. Uh, Grandpa Bruns served in the army during the Korean War. He was in Europe, so he wasn't on the front, but always had kind of that public service um, kind of mentality to him and, you know, went into uh, uh, the uh, postal service after he got home and stuff and did some of that. So he's always kind of had... Um, 
I remember what? that. I remember he would go by in like the car. Yeah, because he was out of recess. Yeah. I remember that. He would have yep. like so Grandpa Don always told me, you know, if you see something wrong, you can complain about it. But until you're willing to do something to change it yourself, it's really pretty meaningless. I didn't know it at the time when he was talking about me. He served as mayor in Spencer for quite a while when my mom was growing up. I never knew that until after I was mayor. Mom brought it up. I never knew that. Huh. Got to when I moved back to Embry in 09, was there for a year or two. And, um, you know, a few people were like, yeah, why don't you run for council and this and that? And I uh, thought, you know, you know, I should probably give back to the community and just bring some of the stuff I've learned out of town and a different perspective maybe would help. And at that time, Harley Fluth, I think had been mayor for 16 years and he was going to finally just retire because he was old. So I said, well, maybe I'll just try the mayor. So I did that. And I took over mayor in 2011 and I gave it up in uh, September of 20. Okay. So that's a long time. That's a long time. September of 21. Yeah. So what, and I think I've even texted you about this, but is it harder to be a parent or be the mayor? You can beat your kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, the mayor thing in the small town, obviously, you know everybody, and that's a good thing and a bad thing. Sure. Um, so they'll come to you with any god darn stupid complaint you can think of. So it really um, forced me to either sit there and listen to them or just actually grow up and tell them, Hey, you need to be an adult, take care of the shit yourself. I'm not babysitting you. So wow. it, it actually helped me grow internally to be a little more confrontational with people. Cause I've used to just, eh, you know, not that I was ever shy away from confrontation, but I never wanted to disappoint people. That's just not the way yeah. I was raised. You know, you hear the same jackass bitching about some neighbor's lawn 14 times during the summer being too long. At some point you just go, why don't you just shut up and worry about your side of the damn fence, you know? And wow. It, or so just yeah, go you mow know, it. You have a mower? Go mower. mow it. But I, I learned a lot about governmental stuff and grant writing and shit. So it was a good experience overall. I think I got out of it hopefully as much as I put into it. And hopefully the you know town is better for me to been there. So yeah, no, I think so. I think uh there's a lot of people that I mean that all spoke very highly and kind of revered the fact that that you were you were you know the mayor who's the mayor now uh andy erickson is that right okay yeah. that's awesome good for him good for him i'm sure you know it's going going well so well sweet man well this has been awesome josh appreciate the time i miss you i can't wait to yeah. see you in a couple months here but thank you for rolling out the first installment of, uh, you know, the Van Lure Chronicles and, and talking about, you know, again, I, I hadn't heard your, you know, your, your draft and your football story before. So I'm excited to, to get it out and, you know, release it to the 50 to 80 people that'll hopefully listen hey. to it. Maybe a hundred, whatever. My sister, I think will get all the way here, which is good, but um, I, I hope somebody listens to it for your sake, but honestly, just catching up with you. This is that's good this for is, me too. This is always what's fun, man. So we can, you know, that's why I like doing these is, you know, just to connect on on stuff that, you know, we remember. So, well, much love, bro. Great to see you. We'll catch up with you in a couple months. Yeah, wait to see you, bud. See you, buddy. Thank you. See you. Rock, camera, stay.
Maintains to make melodies for MCs, motivates to break some everlasting. I can go on for days and days with rhyme displays that engrave deepest X rays. I can take a phrase that's rarely heard, flip it, now it's a daily word. I can get iller than armor, kill and bomb, but no alarm. Rock Kimmel remain calm. Self esteem make me super superb and supreme before a microphone. Still, I've been. This was a tape. I wasn't supposed to break. I was supposed to wait, but let's motivate. I want to see and keep following and swallowing. Taking the minute, biting and falling. Brothers try and others die to get the formula But I'ma let you sweat, you still ain't warm You a step away from frozen, stiff as if you're posing Digging to my brain as the rhyme gets chosen So follow me, I will you thinking you were first Let's travel at magnificent speeds around the universe What could you say as the earth gets further and further away Planets are small, the balls of clay Astray into the Milky Way Worlds out of sight, far as the eye can see Not even a satellite Now stop and turn around and look As you stand in the darkness, your knowledge took So keep staring soon, you suddenly see a star You better follow it, cause it's the all This is a lesson if you're guessing it If you're following, hurry, hurry, step right up And keep following the leader Follow the leader, I can't mistake You're the journal, I'm the journalist Am I eternal or an eternalist? I'm about to flow long as I could possibly go Keep you moving cause the crowd says so dance Cuts rip your pants, Eric B on the blades Bleeding the death, call an ambulance Pull out my weapon and start to squeeze A magnum as a microphone, murdering MCs Let's quote a rhyme from a record I wrote Follow the leader Yeah, don't Cause every time I stop it seems you're stuck Soon as you try to step off yourself to struck I came to overcome before I'm gone By showing and proving and letting ours be born Then after that I'll live forever You disagree? You say never? Then follow me From century to century You remember me in history Not a mystery or a memory I call by nature My race in Asia Since you was tricked I have to raise you From the cradle to the grave But remember You're not a slave Cause we was prepared to be much more than that But we couldn't see it Because our mind was trapped But I'm here to break away the chains Take away the pains Remake the brains Rebuild my name I guess nobody told you A little knowledge is dangerous It can't be mixed, diluted It can't be changed the switch Here's a lesson if you're guessing and following Hurry, hurry, step right up And keep following the leader Follow the leader, I can't mistake 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 Freestyle, lyrics of fury My third eye make me shine like jury You're just a rental rapper, your rhymes are minimate I'll be here when it fade, I watch it flip like a renegade I can't wait to break and eliminate On every trade of a snake, so stay awake And follow and follow, because the tempo's a trail The stage is a cage, the mic is a third rail I rock him, the fiend of a microphone I'm not him, so leave my mic alone Soon as the beat is felt, I'm ready to go So fasten your seatbelt, cause I'm about to flow No need to speed, slow down and let the leader lead Word to daddy, indeed The R's are roller stones, so I'm rolling Directions told them the rhymes are stolen Stop bugging, the brother said dig him I never dug him, he couldn't follow the leader long enough So I drug him, 
enter danger zone He should arrange his own face into space and erase and change the tone It's one R in the alphabet It's a one letter word and it's about to get More complex from one rhyme to the next Everything be easy on the flex I've been from state to state followers tailgate Keep coming but you came too late but I wait So back up regroup, get a grip, come equipped You're the next contestant, clap your hands, you wanna trip The price is right, don't make a deal too soon How many notes get your name this tune? Follow the leader is a title theme task Now you know you don't have to act Rappers rhythm and poetry cuss create sound effects You might catch up if you follow the records he wrecks Until then keep eating and swallowing You better take a deep breath and keep following the leader Keep following Say peace.